It's good to be in Dothan, good to be with you. I hope you've got a copy of God's Word. These are weird days, are they not? I don't care where you are, where you're from, where you're going, or where you've come from. These are just bizarre days. Read something just this week in looking at research. Uh, Dr. Raymond Navico, psychology professor at the University of California. We could say a lot about that, but we won't. Listen to what he says. He says Americans are living in a big anger incubator. Now listen to this. Joshua Morgenstein, he happens to be professor of psychiatry at the um, uh, Uniform Servicemen's uh, University. He says this, the country is dealing with three disasters superimposed one on top of the other. He says, we're dealing with this disaster of the pandemic and then superimposed on that is this disaster of the economy and then superimposed on top of that is the disaster that he calls the civil strife taking place in America right now. You look at America and what you see is basically this. In fact, this comes from a Harvard professor as he was writing in USA Today, he said that America is suffering from an anger and an anxiety um, pandemic. That's what he called it, an anger and an anxiety pandemic. Now, let me tell you something. Anger and anxiety are the twins born of the same mother, and the mother is hell. Uh, They hold hands, and uh, anger is uh, created by anxiety, And uh, anger will exacerbate or anxiety will exacerbate the anger. Now, I see that in the world. You see it in the world. If you don't, just go home and cut on the news tonight and uh, just watch for about 15 minutes and you'll pick up. We live in very anger-filled days of anxiety. But now here's the problem. Here's the concern that I've got. I see this so much in the church. Amen. Now, if I have to roll my own, it'll take us longer to get out of here. But listen, let me tell you, I I see it in the church. Anger just in the church in ways I've never seen it before in 40 some odd years of ministry. An anxiety that grips even uh, the most uh, spiritually mature of our people. And I looked to the New Testament and I've wondered, I said, Lord, what do I tell people in the middle of a time like this? How do I encourage the people of God? And I want you to take your copy of God's word because Paul wrote to a church that was full of despair, full of depression, full of anxiety. And it may have been the first epistle that he wrote, although I think it probably was his second. Scholars debate it. Uh, was it Galatians? Was it First Thessalonians? Uh, I think uh, Galatians was his first and First Thessalonians was his second. So just look with me at First Thessalonians tonight. One of the early epistles of Paul. You remember how Paul ended up in Thessalonica in about a, a, a month and a half. I will be in Thessaloniki. Uh, I have uh, been there probably a dozen and a half times and uh, go there, take groups there, Uh, have been invited to preach in the place and uh, often think of Paul as he writes the church 
at Thessalonica. He lands, of course. You remember he was over in what we know as Turkey, in Troas. He has this Macedonian call. He goes over, goes to Philippi. He gets to Philippi. He preaches the gospel there. They beat him. They throw him and Silas in prison. Uh, You know about the earthquake. They're released the next day. Well, really, they're released that night because uh, of the work of God. But they leave Philippi the next day. And they go down to Thessalonica. And they go to Thessalonica, and they're there. I can only find that Paul was there possibly three weeks, maybe a little longer, but not much beyond that, before riots broke out. Now, that's a preacher, isn't it? Man, every time he shows up in town, a riot breaks out. Well, he shows up there. He preaches for three weeks. They break out in a riot in the city. And uh, they quickly get him out of town. He scurries on down to Berea. And from Berea, he's only there a few days. He goes uh, to a boat, gets on a boat, goes down to Athens. But he leaves Silas and Timothy. They evidently go back to Thessalonica. And then they will leave there and they will come down and meet Paul in the city of Corinth. And they will share with him some things that are going on in the church back in Thessalonica. And so he sits down in Corinth to pen what I think may be his second epistle, certainly one of the two earliest ones that he writes. And he writes the church and he wants to thank them. If you're in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 3, he says, I just bear in mind your work of faith, your labor of love, your steadfastness of hope. Uh, but then he's going to move to the issue at hand. As he gets through chapter two and three, he comes in chapter four, and now he's going to begin to give them some instruction. And the instruction that he gives them begins here in verse 11 of chapter four, where he speaks of their restlessness personally. I see this so much in the church, people that are just restless. They're not settled. They're always uh, in a stew, always upset. He says this, now I pick it up, I realize in the middle of a sentence, but listen to what he says. Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. Calm down. Don't be so loud. Don't be so upset all the time. Attend to your own business. Ah. Stop getting in everybody else's stuff. Tend to your own business. The best way to do that is work with your own hand. Get a job. Go to work, do something in the church. Sign up to do something, keep babies. Go in there and do something with the babies. Go do something with the preschoolers. Go teach children about Jesus. Do something with the teenagers. Volunteer to take senior adults to the doctor. But for crying out loud, get a job and stay out of everybody else's business. I find, let's see, I'm gonna get in the car and go home tonight. I find this, that in in the church, the people who give me the most trouble, pastor, are those who don't do anything. They tend to everybody else's business. Now look, this is what Paul is saying, right? If you got a Bible, I just read it to you out the scripture. Live a quiet life, calm down, attend to your own business. You're restless, go work. Gives them that word, but now he comes to people who have this anxiety doctrinally. There's a doctrinal issue. There's always a doctrinal issue. Somebody has got some doctrine that is messed up. Verse 13, 
We don't want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep. Now you begin to come to what's the real issue in the church in Thessalonica. Paul there, three, maybe four weeks, all the time teaching, discipling, pouring into these new believers, into these folks who have just trusted in Christ, giving them all the doctrine of Scripture, and part of that is eschatology. That is the doctrine of last things, the second coming of Jesus Christ. And somehow they misunderstood and they thought that Paul said Christ was coming back immediately when Paul said Christ is coming back imminently. There is a difference. Is Jesus going to come back immediately? I don't know. I tell you what, I'm not waiting for any more signs. It's pretty good to me. It looks pretty good right now to me. But I can't say that he's coming back immediately, but I can say this, he's coming back. I can tell you that right now. So they've misunderstood. They've got loved ones now that are dying. And they're thinking, oh no, they died before Christ came back. There's no hope. They've gone on now into eternal separation from God because they died before Christ came back. Now that's what they're thinking. They're messed up in their soteriology. They're messed up in their hermodiology. They're messed up in their eschatology. So he's going to talk to them about that issue as well. We don't want you to be uninformed about those who are asleep. You see, he didn't say they died because in the New Testament, death to God is nothing more than you going to sleep. Boy, now that's good. See, if y'all were Pentecostals, y'all be running around this place right now. <laughs> now look at the third thing is despair spiritually so that you will not grieve as the rest who have no hope. He says, you are just in despair. You're grieving like people that have no hope, and yet you have the hope of Jesus Christ, and you have the hope of his return. He is going to come, and he is going to say to them that when you understand that Christ will come again, it will build an assurance in your life that will evaporate the despair and the anxiety and the restlessness. Now, I want to show you what he's doing. He's encouraging the church. Now, do you have a Bible with you? Let me see it. Y'all don't fake me out. We'll just nod you. Good job, pastor. Good job. Let me show you something. Now, I'm just going to teach you a little bit right here. I want to show you something through this whole passage. Go back to chapter 3. He's going to encourage them. Chapter 3, verse 2, I want you to watch. He says, we sent Timothy, our brother, and God's fellow worker in the gospel of Christ to strengthen and encourage you as to your faith. Do you see the word encourage right there? Let me tell you what the word is in the Greek. It's parakaleo. The word has a prefix, para, parallel, alongside, kaleo, to call, The one called alongside is called the paraclete, the Holy Spirit. When it is a noun, it refers to the Holy Spirit. When it is a verb, it means to encourage. Now he says, I have left them there to strengthen and encourage your faith. Now watch this, chapter four, verse one. 
Finally then, brethren, we request and exhort, same word, parakaleo, encourage you in the Lord. Down to verse 10 of chapter four. For indeed, you do practice it toward all the brethren who are in Macedonia, but we urge, we encourage you, brethren, to excel still more. Look at verse 18 of chapter four. Therefore, comfort, encourage, same word, parakaleo, therefore, encourage one another with these words. Chapter five, verse 11. Therefore, encourage one another and build up one another just as you are also doing. Verse 14 of chapter five, we urge, same word, parakaleo, we encourage you, brethren, admonish the unruly, encourage the faint-hearted. Do you see that? Seven times in three chapters, chapter three, four, and five, Paul uses the exact same word to this church. Encourage, 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 encourage. And in the heart of that use of the word, it flows like an underground aquifer and it springs up like an artesian well in seven places in the text to refresh, to encourage, to uplift the people of God. And in the heart of using this word is a word about the coming of Jesus Christ. Because you see, when you get to the place where you understand, when you have confidence in the coming of Christ, it will build an assurance in you that will cause to evaporate the anxiety, the fear, the discouragement, and the distress. So what I want to do tonight is I want you to be encouraged when I walk out of here. I want you in these discouraging days to be encouraged with this one thought. Jesus is coming back. Amen? Now, if that just doesn't get you excited, I don't know what I'm going to do. You just can't get excited. Now, watch this. I'm going to preach on something nobody talks about anymore. I'm going to preach on the rapture of the church. And you say, but it's not there. Well, just hang on. We'll find out. We'll look and see. So let's begin in verse 16 of chapter four. And I want you to see, he's talking about assurance. This assurance that Christ is going to come. Now listen, I'm not gonna talk about armies marching. I'm not gonna talk about what Russia's doing or China. I want you just to follow the text. I want you to listen to what the text is saying. He's saying right here, be assured, Christ will come majestically. Now watch this in verse 16, or let me back up to verse 15. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. He's given them some encouragement about those that have died in Christ. For, or that, better, in the Greek it's hadi, it means that, that the Lord himself will descend from heaven there's a little particle here in the Greek, it's, it, the, the little word is ain, it, it's epsilon nu. It can translate it with or in. The, the concept here is this, is that each one of these are associated with the coming of Christ. Each of these are separate events, but they happen at the same time and they're all three distinguishable. 
He comes and he says this, he will descend from heaven first with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and number three, with the trump of God. Now let me just stop right there. And let me look at that because he's telling you right here that when he comes back, he is coming back majestically. He's coming back, first of all, with a shout. That word shout is literally a military term if you look it up. It's a military term that describes the way a general would speak to his troops. Now, I don't know what it was like Uh, That day when Washington stood on the earthworks at Yorktown and called and ordered cannons to begin to fire on the fort at Yorktown where Cornwallis was bottled up, I don't know what it sounded like, but I bet it was majestic. I don't know what it was like when Napoleon ordered those elite forces of the French army to cross the bridge at Austerlitz in the biggest battle he ever won. I don't know what it sounded like, but I guarantee you it sounded majestic. I don't know what it was like when Patton called out for everybody to fire at the Kasserine Pass when he was fighting Rommel there in North Africa. I don't know what it sounded like, but I bet you it was majestic. I have no idea what it sounded like that night on the 5th of June when Eisenhower met with the 82nd Airborne and gave them their last command before they flew and jumped over Normandy. But I can imagine that it must have sounded majestic and there is coming a day when we're going to hear the shout of a general. We'll look up and we will see our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and it will be the sound of something majestic. He comes with a shout. He comes with the voice of an archangel, not just an angel. Anywhere in scripture angels speak, they're always understood. Nobody misinterprets what the angel is saying. There's no trouble in translation. There's no trouble in dialect. But here it's specifically archangel. There's only one archangel in scripture. That's Michael. And the only time we know that Michael spoke is we're told in Jude that Michael, the archangel, disputed about the body of Moses. And he did not speak his own word, but he spoke the word of God. Now, I have no idea what an angel sounds like. Well, I do, because I wake up with one every morning. I don't know what an archangel sounds like. But I can bet you that an archangel sounds majestic. He's going to come with a shout. He's going to come with the voice of the archangel. And look at this. He's going to come watch the trumpet of God. Now, that's not the shofar. This is a specific word. It's the silver trumpets mentioned back in Numbers chapter 10. If you've got your copy of God's word, go back to Numbers chapter 10. And let me get back to 1 Corinthians chapter 15 while you're headed back there. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, you read about this trumpet there. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we will be changed. That's the same trumpet. Those are the silver trumpets that God instructed Moses all the way back in Numbers chapter 10. Now look at that, beginning in verse 1 of Numbers 10. For the Lord further spoke to Moses saying, Make yourself two trumpets of silver. 
Now, where would they get the silver? That comes from the price of redemption. Every firstborn child, male, female, even the firstborn of the flock had to be redeemed by a silver coin. And that silver coin was called the coin of redemption, the price of redemption. You redeem. It was to remind them constantly of that night of the Passover where God saved the firstborn of every household that was covered under the blood. And so every time a Jewish family had their first child, they would take that child to the temple to be dedicated and they would bring the price of redemption and it would always be in silver. He said, you take that silver coin of redemption, you melt it down, it is hammered work, you shall make them, you shall use them, watch this, for the summoning of the congregation and having the camps set out. Now, do you get the picture here? No, y'all can't. I don't know how y'all just sit there. Listen, this is what he's saying. He's saying you take specifically that silver and make a trumpet that when it blows, all of Israel gets up and they set out. There's gonna be a shout. There's gonna be the voice of an archangel and there is going to be the sound of that trumpet that when it blows, the people of God automatically get up and move out. Chimney cricket. I'm gonna have a spell. That's what he's saying right here. And he's saying that is going to introduce the majesty of our God. You will not, listen, if you're a child of God, you will not miss that. I was thinking on the way down here several years ago when I was in, we were in Athens, all the women wanted to go for a half a day of shopping. You know, why, why would you want to shop when you could look at ruins? But they wanted to shop. So we took them down to downtown Athens and they were shopping around and I looked at uh, Deb and I said, sweetie, I'm going to go sit out by the door. I don't want to miss you now when you go out. Uh, I'm going to sit down by the door. I'm just tired. I'm going to go sit sit out there. So I went and I plopped down on the street, sat there by the door. And uh, I didn't pay much attention, but all of a sudden there were a lot of these men in what appeared to me to be really expensive Italian suits. And I got to looking at their pants because I'm down on the ground. I got to look and I thought, man, look at their shoes. Those are Italian made leather shoes. That's handmade leather right there. Look at these suits they've got. I wonder who these people are. And so about that time, I'm sitting on the floor. All these men kind of gather around, and there's a lady that walks up right here by me. And I look up, and she's got on a beautiful tan. I remember exactly what she had on. She had on a beautiful tan, matched her hair, um, just beautiful, elegant. And uh, she looked down at me, and I said, how you doing? And she said, hello. And uh, then they just whisked on, went on away. And everybody, when they walked on off, everybody came running to me. What'd she say? What'd she say? What'd she say? I said, what did who say? She said, they, they, people were saying, that the, the, the queen of Spain, that was Sophia, the queen of Spain. I said, no. <laughs> I said, I don't, she, I just said, hey, how you doing? <laughs> she just said, hello, I, or something. I don't know what she said. You know, that boy's from the South. I think that may be what she said. I paid no attention. Let me tell you something. 
There's a day that royalty is coming. And his name is Jesus. And you, as a child of God, will not miss it. Because when he comes, he comes majestically. Let me show you a second thing. He's going to come triumphantly. Now watch the text here. Look at what the text is going to do next. He comes and he's going to come majestically, but now verse 17, then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord. Who are we gonna be caught up with? Well, he's already talked about it back up in verse 15. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who've fallen asleep. We who are alive and remain will be caught up. Do you see the word caught up right there? It's the word in the Greek, arpazo. It's translated over into the Latin Vulgate, rapturo, which is from, uh, that, from that we get the word rapture. You don't see it so clearly in the Greek as you do the Latin, but the word arpazo right there, caught up. Now let me get technical and tell you. Fritz and Reinecker in the Greek linguistic key to the New Testament says this about that word caught up. It is a violent snatching up. It's what my dad used to do, right? When he, come here, boy. You, you just grab jerk up here. Get up here. It is a violent jerking up. Reinecker and Rogers say this. It is with such force that nothing can resist it. Now that's the word. Arpazo in the Greek. Rapturo in the Latin. To be violently jerked up with such a force that no matter what strength you have, you cannot resist it. When he comes, we're told this. Now don't confuse this with the second coming. This is not the second coming of Christ. This is the catching away of the church. He comes and he says, we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them. That's the thing there. With who? With them. Those in verse 15 that have already preceded us in death. What he's saying right here is this is that when your loved one dies and your loved one dies in Christ, they go immediately into the presence of Jesus Christ. That's what happens to you when you die, Christian. Now listen, that may not mean much to you tonight, but about five seconds before you die, you're gonna shout if you think about it. I go immediately into the presence of Christ. That's why when Christ comes, if I die before, his, before this event, I will come with him. Some of you here, you've lost your husbands. Some of you here, you've lost your wives. Some of you here have lost moms and dads. Uh, some of you here, God bless your heart, you've lost a child. You've lost a brother. You've lost a sister. Well, let me tell you something. If they died in Christ, you haven't lost anything. They are with Jesus Christ. And the word of God tells me this, is that when the shout happens and the voice of the archangel is heard and the trumpet of God sounds, listen, 
we will see not only him, but we'll be caught up with him and with them triumphantly. Jesus Christ will come. The first church I pastored out of seminary was in a very inner city, transitional, dangerous neighborhood. We had Jamaican gangs. We had Haitian gangs. We had, we had everything in the world you could imagine. It was a very depressed part of the city of Norfolk, Virginia, Chesapeake, Virginia, right across the river from the city of Norfolk. I would come in, some, some mornings I would come in and I would find a, a woman that had been beaten up and left in the doorway of the church. We'd have to get her up and clean her up and care for her and get her uh, to, oftentimes to the hospital uh, to be cared for. I lived in, I pastored in that kind of neighborhood. There were only two little restaurants. One was a Chinese restaurant and we were never sure exactly what they were serving in there. The other, the other was... The other was Kentucky Fried Chicken. <laughs> and uh, it was just down the street. Oftentimes, I would just walk down uh, the street to Kentucky Fried Chicken to get uh, you know, some lunch, go back to the desk, and just sit there at the desk and work. Well, one morning, I had walked down there to get some. Police were everywhere. I knew what had happened. It happened every week. Somebody walked in, held them up, had robbed the place. Well, this guy, this, this brilliant criminal had walked in there with a gun, stuck it in their face, said, get a chicken box, stuff all your cash in it, put it up here on the counter. Somebody in the back heard, because this, this was a routine down there. They called the police, they punched the button or they called the police. He could hear the sirens. He grabbed the box and he ran out. Well, by the time I got there, they already had him in the back of the car. They were walking back in with the chicken box. And they put the box up on the counter and they said to the other chicken box, the other person back there, look in that box right there. They opened that box and all the money was in it. In his haste, he had grabbed a box of chicken. <laughs> now I tell you that to tell you this. The moment you die, Satan shows up. And he's grabbing for your eternal soul. But when he grabs that box they put you in and he opens it, all he's got is a box of bones. Because your soul, brother and sister, is going to be with Jesus. Jesus beats him to the punch. Let me tell you. If you've trusted Jesus Christ, you immediately, what does he say to the thief on the cross? After a thousand years of soul sleep, after purgatory, after limbo, Catholics don't even believe that anymore. Listen, he said, today you will be with me in paradise. Paul says this, to be absent from the body is? The word literally there is oikos. It's to be at home with the Lord. Now, not just present, but to be at home with the Lord. When I get home tonight, do you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to walk in that back door and I'm going to go home. That's where your loved one is. And that one that you love in that day will come back with Christ and in the twinkling of an eye, Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, that body, that wrapper, that jar of clay is going to suddenly become immortal 
and incorruptible and reunited with an eternal soul. When Jesus comes back, he will show all of us how at the empty tomb, he conquered death forever. Amen. Amen. Jesus is coming. Are you encouraged? Let me show you the third thing. The third thing is this. He's going to come back majestically. He'll come back triumphantly. But number three, he's going to come back for you personally. He's not going to send the British army to get you. He's not going to send an ambassador. He won't turn and beg the Taliban to please give you back. He's coming for you personally. Now watch. Some of y'all, look, decide you're going to be happy tonight. Just decide you're going to be encouraged. Watch. He's going to come and listen to what he says. For the Lord himself. Do you know what that is in the Greek? It's the emphatic. The Lord himself. The Lord and no one else. The Lord sends no one else. But the Lord himself himself is going to descend with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God. Now let me show you what's going on in Paul's mind. At the end of every chapter in 1 Thessalonians, he says something about the second coming of Jesus Christ. Look at chapter one. Look at how he ends chapter chapter one. He comes and he says in verse 10, to wait for his son from heaven whom he raised from the dead, that is Jesus, who rescues us from the wrath to come. Look at the end of chapter two. Look at verse 19. For who is our hope or joy or crown of exaltation? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus at his coming? Look at the end of chapter three, verse 13. So that he may establish your hearts without blame and holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with his saints. Now we're already into chapter four. Look at the end of chapter five, verse 23. For may the Lord, for may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely and may your spirit and soul and body be preserved complete without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you see what he keeps doing here? He keeps keeps coming to the end of each one of these pericopes and he mentions the coming of Christ again and again and again. He comes and he mentions in the midst of this word encouragement and he says, I want you to be encouraged. Jesus is coming again. But now watch this. Chapter 1, verse 10, let me show you something in the text because there's going to be this transition here. There's going to be a change of position. He says, we are to wait for his son from heaven. That right there is uk uranon in the Greek. Uk literally means, it means essentially out of. Ek is out of. Ek Uranon, he's coming out of heaven. So at the end of chapter one, it's as if I'm standing here and I'm looking up and out of heaven comes Jesus. Now watch it, the transition. Look at what happens over here in verse 16. In verse 16, it says, the Lord himself will descend from heaven. 
Now, I know in the English that sounds like it's the same thing, but it's not because here it is op urenu. Op is the prefix there that means from heaven. Ek, he's coming out of heaven. Op is he's coming from heaven. It's as if in chapter four, Paul shifts and he says, as if I'm in heaven and I'm watching this, Jesus stands up from that seat where he is seated at the right hand of the Father. And as he stands up, he steps down onto that cloud and down onto that cloud, he is going from heaven. So he's coming out in chapter one, he's coming from You just need to understand this. He's coming out for you personally. He's coming from heaven for you personally. He's coming back majestically, triumphantly, and he is coming back for you personally. Now, maybe nobody else will come for you. Maybe nobody else will send a car for you. Maybe nobody else will send a plane for you. But I can tell you this, if you know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, I can tell you based on the assurance of the word, he's coming for you personally. Now do you see what he says right here in verse 18? Therefore, because of all that, because of all of this about the coming of Christ, Comfort, encourage one another with these words. I want you to be encouraged tonight. I want you to be encouraged that if you've trusted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, it doesn't matter how bad this pandemic gets or how bad this economy gets or how much civil strife there is in America, you have hope in Jesus Christ. Amen? Jesus is coming. Now, I want to just tell you something. Do you know this whole idea has been something that God has wanted his people to encourage each other with since all the way back in the Old Testament? Now, let me do this. Let me take you back to Genesis chapter 50. Genesis chapter 50, and I want you to watch this. Joseph is dying. And those old aggravating brothers of his have gathered around. Joseph is dying and he says to his brothers, the end of Genesis chapter 50, he says, I'm about to die. But now watch this. Look at this. But God will surely take care of you and bring you up from this land to the land which he promised on oath to Abraham, to Isaac and Jacob. Now, do you hear what he's saying right here? He's telling his brothers, he's giving them the last word. He's trying to encourage them. And he says, God's not only gonna take care of you until this time, but there's coming a time when God's going to come and he's gonna take you up from this land and he's gonna take you over there to that land. And then he says this, Joseph made the sons of Israel swear saying, God will surely take care of you. He tells them this twice. God's going to take care of you. 
Brothers and sisters down here at Ridgecrest in Dothan, Alabama, let me tell you something. God's going to take care of you. God's going to take care of you. God will surely take care of you and you shall carry my bones up from here. Joseph died at the age of 110 and he was embalmed. They put him in a coffin in Egypt, but they didn't bury him. Big old sarcophagi, stone sarcophagi, just sat out there in the middle of the street. A hundred years after Joseph had died. 150 years, 200 years. Jewish father's walking his little boy to school one day. The little boy looks over and he says, Daddy, what's that big old stone right there? He said, son, those are the bones of Joseph. Well, why is he out of here? Why didn't you bury him? Because we promised Joseph when he told us that God would come for us one day, we promised him we'd pick his bones up and we're going to take his bones from here to over there. Just like God's going to take us from here to over there. All the way back in the book of Genesis, you see the same thing. The people of God encouraging each other with the word, God is going to come for you. And he's going to take you here from this land, the Beulah land. Let me tell you something. There's a land that is fairer than day. And by faith, we'll see it afar. Stand with me. For the Father waits over the way to prepare us a dwelling place there. In the sweet, sing it with me. By and by, we shall meet on that beautiful shore in the sweet by and by we shall meet on that beautiful shore are you ready are you ready let me encourage you jesus is coming Well, thank you, um, Brother Mac, for blessings. You know, I was thinking while you were preaching, the, the New Testament church referred to the coming of the Lord as the blessed hope because life was hard. Suffering, persecution, sickness, disease, their hope was in the coming because they saw a city that wasn't made by hands. And so they were encouraged. And Paul, toward the end of his life, would therefore write and say, so God has not given you a spirit of fear, but of love and a sound mind. Listen, there's a lot of people that are scared to death right now. Put your trust in Jesus. 
our encouragement is that we know how this story ends up. That's our encouragement. So we don't have to be captive to the fear that our world is captive to. Because our hope is in Jesus Christ and Him alone. And so the next time you walk out and you get scared, and Mike's right, just turn on the television. You don't have a scary evening before you go to bed. Turn on the news. You believe all of what they say, you're going to live in terror. You believe all that Jesus said, what Paul wrote, you're going to be encouraged because you know where all of this is going. And I love that last point. He's coming personally. He's not sending an aide to camp. He's coming for you. That is if you know him. So why not, if you don't know him, why don't you meet him tonight? Bradley, why don't you come up? Look, the greatest encouragement of your life will be to know that you know that you know that you know your eternal destiny. If you are in this place tonight and you can't say, well, he said he's coming for you, but I don't know, I don't know for sure that I know him, then you don't know for sure that he's coming for you. So let's just change that, all right? So I'm going to ask Bradley to pray, and I want to pray, I mean, to play, and I want to pray, and then I'm going to be here at the front. I'll just ask you to slip out and, and come this way and say, you know what, I, I need to trust Christ. I, I don't know Christ. Or come and say, look, I, I'm spooked, but I don't want to live spooked anymore. And so I want Christ as my Savior. By the way, we got a special going on tonight. You may not have a church home, and you want to join this one. You know him already. Come on, come and join. You want to come and talk to him around the altar. As always, it's open. Bradley, will you lead us after I pray, and then you slip out and you come on. Father, thank you for the word tonight to remind us and to encourage us. God, we are encouraged tonight because we know the outcome. We are encouraged because in Christ we know you're coming for us and we love you and thank you for that and so lord for any in this place tonight that do not know you help this be that moment where they say i'm not going to keep living in doubt i'm going to walk in assurance would you speak now in jesus name amen bradley lead us if you will